Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about all types of sports business. I'm Joe Favorito, flying solo today, as my co-host Tom Richardson is out of the country. And we're going to make some records, or at least we're going to talk about world records today. Because our guest is my longtime friend and colleague, Keith Green, now the Vice President of Marketing and Commercial Sales for Guinness World Records North America. Welcome, Keith. Thanks, Joe. How are you? Good. So it's always an intriguing thing. Everyone knows the Guinness name. Obviously, sometimes there's confusion with Guinness the drink. But um, <laughs> the world record side and how world records get set is something we want to get into. Something in particular we definitely want to talk to, and we're going to talk about your background a little bit and how you got to where you are right now, um, is the brand engagement that goes on around world records, official world records being set, and some of the amazing stories that you've seen with brands like Reebok or the stuff that you recently did with Al Roker and the Today Show as to mm-hmm. how these things kind of come about and what the, the ROI is from a brand, from a media perspective, or from some of the people big and small who actually set world records. But before we get to that, why don't you kind of walk, take a couple of minutes and walk people through your path from Temple University, through NASCAR, through um, Synergy Sports, through um, some of the other places you stopped through some teaching as to how you got to where you are today at Guinness World Records. Sure. Well, it actually started uh, right after I got out of college, of course, and my first job was for the local uh, organ donor transplant company in Philadelphia. At the time, they were called Delaware Valley Transplant Program. Today, they're called Gift of Life, and I was hired on a temporary basis to help promote their U.S. transplant games, which is this really cool um, games, Olympic-style games that come together, I think it's every two years. And the idea behind it was to promote that people who receive um, organ transplants, heart transplants, kidney transplants, liver transplants, whatever it might be, can return to full and productive lives. Very inspirational. And my job was to organize and publicize this group of transplant recipients going to Los Angeles for these regional or for these, sorry, the national transplant games. Come to find out that right after I started, that the guy that I was working for uh, discovered that Jimmy Lynham, the GM from the 76ers, had a brother who had a kidney transplant. He invited Jimmy down to uh, our first team practice, and lo and behold, he showed up. To make a long story short, I ended up working alongside uh, Jimmy for about 13, 14 months, expressed my desire to get into the sports field. And then, as you know, Joe, um, I ended up doing an internship for the Sixers about a year and a half um, after I was done at Temple and, and done with that job. That led to a full-time job in the ticket office. Um, I had the good fortune to work uh, and do a lot of fun things with you in the PR side, even though it wasn't part of my full-time uh, remit, so to speak, and was uh, very grateful for, for that opportunity, of course. And then, So I did that for two and a half years and then got promoted to the newly formed uh, Community Relations Department, that Pat Croce started when he took over the team, did that for two and a half years, um, enjoyed my time there, was, was really having a great time with it. Um, then we had a, a pending sort of labor stoppage that was coming up um, the start of the 98-99 season, I believe. And so sort of the writing was on the wall, started looking around, 
was able to get some really good PR experience, you know, working on the side a little bit with you um, and the team there at the Sixers. And that was sort of my, my goal. I wanted to get into sports PR and ended up leaving to take a job at Nazareth Speedway owned by Roger Penske, uh, spent two and a half years there as a PR director for the track. And actually about eight months after I started there, uh, Roger sold his tracks to International Speedway Corporation. So suddenly I went from being part of a family that had about five race tracks to one that had 12. Spent two and a half years there, like I said, at Nazareth Speedway and got promoted within the company to be the PR director for Richmond International Raceway, you know, home to um, to at the time it was NASCAR Winston Cup Series um, races. It's now, of course, the Monster Energy Series. Um, Indy cars uh, race there as well. Loved that job. Was there for six, a little more than six years. Uh, I sort of knew that the day that I set foot in Richmond, Virginia, that I wanted to move back up north at some point, just because uh, I'm a Northeast guy. This is sort of where my heart is. Uh, my wife, um, that I ended up meeting when I was in Richmond, is from New Jersey. And so after about six years, I started to look around. My son was born. Our son was born in Richmond, Virginia. Thought it was time to get back up north. Ended up with um, a company called Synergy Events. Um, really fun company. Uh, we did a tremendous amount of work in the sports space and also ended up doing quite a handful of events and activations uh, that had Guinness World Record titles involved in them. So when I was there at Synergy, I, overs- I oversaw the, the marketing and the sales for the company. And we would work with agencies or brands that wanted to do some sort of experiential uh, campaigns or, or activations, places at Times Square, mobile marketing tours, things like that. So one of the things that we did, for example, was work with Weber Shanwick, who is the agency of record for, for Mars, and for the M&M chocolate pretzel candy first birthday, we helped them build the world's largest pinata, which is 46 feet high. Um, and had uh, 14,000 packages of candy come out of it. It set the Guinness World Records title for, for the largest pinata. And that was the way I started to get to know Guinness World Records, not just as a book, uh, but really as sort of an entertainment brand that worked with agencies and brands uh, you know, on, on sort of furthering business objectives. So when this opportunity came up after about eight years at Synergy, I was extremely interested in it, and it's been about a year and a half now, and it's, and it's an absolute blast. The, one of the favorite parts of, of it for me is just helping our clients or potential clients come up with new ideas um, to activate around either product launch and anniversary, some sort of sports activation, things like that. So let's talk a little bit about the world records themselves, and, and maybe you can explain to people because, you know, whether it's plate spinning or Steph Curry making threes, um, mm-hmm. you know, people are always trying to figure out what an official world record is. So mm-hmm. really briefly, can you explain what an official world record is? Um, sure. Are they always paid? Are they um, things that just kind of happen that, that Guinness gets inbound? And how many world records actually are there? Sure. Great question. So uh, I'll try to answer that in sort of a number of different ways. Um, First of all, like you said, Joe, everybody knows this as the book. The book has been around for 62 years. Every September, we will launch that book for the following year. So the 20,000, or sorry, the 2018 version or edition will be launched in September of this year. Uh, that goes to press um, so actually here in the next couple of months, I guess. So we're putting that together, that book together really not long after the, the, the last one launches. So it's, it's a year-round process, as you can probably appreciate. Um, so 
in terms of the number of records that are out there, each year the book has about 4,000 records in it, and about three-quarters of those records are new. The other remaining um, 25% roughly are ones that everybody sort of knows and are familiar with from the time that they were a kid. It's the world's tallest man, Robert Wadlow, who was uh, 8 foot 11.1 inches. It's the woman with the longest fingernails. Those sort of iconic records that exist that really target the reader uh, of our book, which is 7 to 10-year-old boys and girls. Now, about 10 years ago, we started working with brands of all types and sizes. And didn't matter if it was a Fortune 500 company or a nonprofit uh, sports team or a university. Um, from a commercial standpoint, we started working with them for any number of different reasons, like I explained before. And this is an area that's really helped our business grow. About three quarters of the revenue that we generate worldwide is actually still from the book, but the remaining quarter is from this commercial aspect that I oversee here in the United States. And I fully expect that part of our business to keep growing because what is interesting when we go out into the field and talk to people or go on sort of a capabilities presentation or go to a conference and interact with people, we find that people still know and love our brand because they read it as a kid and they're buying the book for their kids or their nieces or their nephews or their grandkids or whatever it might be. But we're discovering that we have a little bit of an awareness issue about this B2B part of it um, and, and this commercial part where they can work with us uh, on something that is going to generate tremendous buzz for them either online or offline. So again, it's an evolving part of our business that um, I see really, really growing here in, in the coming year. To answer your question about, you know, either what makes a record and, and how it either works for or with paid or, or not paid, any individual around the world can submit an application online. They can search our database and figure out what they might want to break, you know, a record around. And they can do that, fill out an application, and that costs $5 to do. And the way it works, because we receive so many applications from all over the world, we receive about 1,000 a week, both either commercially or just individuals wanting to break a record. Um, when you fill out that application online and, and you pay that $5, that waiting time that you have um, for us to get back to you because of the volume is about roughly 12 weeks. So if you want to break the record, Joe, for you know, shooting the most uh, free throws in a minute in your backyard, you can do that. You can go out and fill, fill out an application online, and you'll hear from somebody from our team in about 12 weeks that will explain to you, uh, here is the current record, here are the guidelines that you would have to follow, and here's how you would go about submitting your evidence to us. In other words, if you're going to shoot those free throws in your backyard, you can have somebody video record it um, and then submit that evidence. Once wow. you do that, it will take about another 12 weeks, again, for us to review that evidence. So you have a, a block of time that you will have to deal with that if you want to go that route. On the commercial <laughs> side, it works, it works a little differently. Um, if you want to, to set some sort of record for, like I said, the world's largest pinata example before, um, you can talk with somebody on, on our commercial team, the team that I oversee, and they will work with you to expedite that application and the sort of the value that they will brands will get is having one of our branded judges come out and oversee that record attempt. It's the only way to get immediate verification whether a brand or a company or even an individual has has set a Guinness World Records title. And there is a, there is certainly a fee for that uh, that goes along with having that judge out. 
Our judges are all highly media trained. They spend a week in London um, with our team over there. They go undergo extensive uh, training in terms of how to, uh, you know, make a certificate presentation, uh, do, you know, do a B-roll package, um, any sort of live on-site media, things like that. So they go th- undergo that extensive training in addition to, of course, understanding how our rules and guidelines work uh, when they are on site. So those are the sort of two different types of services that that we offer. Also part of the commercial aspect, in addition to having the judge out, is brand having the ability to use our, in this case, that means use our name and use our logo to promote their attempts. So uh, if the Los Angeles Angels, who we've worked with for, for seven straight years now, are going to break a record at one of their games, um, last year, they broke a record for the most people using selfie sticks simultaneously, right? Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, we have a judge come out, and again, they use our marks to promote in their different materials or online or whatever it is to promote the fact to their fans that they're trying to break a Guinness World Records title that night. You'll get this branded giveaway uh, that a sponsor has come in and, uh, and, uh, and put money to and sponsored, and then uh, fans will be able to participate in, th- in that sort of record at the game that night. So, so that begs another question is when a brand or um, a league or a team or an athlete or a celebrity come to you, do they come to you with an idea or do you guys kind of ideate the idea with them saying, okay, you're the Los Angeles Angels. Here's an interesting idea that we think that you could be a part of or your Reebok. Here's an interesting idea um, that, that we think you could be a part of. Or you're Al Roker when you're doing Rokerthon. How here are some ideas, Al, that you could go and break. Is it them coming to you all the time or is it kind of a, a collaborative effort? It's a little bit of both. Sometimes we'll have an individual or a brand that comes to us and they will say, Here's the record that we want to break. We know that it exists, we know what exactly the criteria uh, what the criteria is, we know um, really where we want to execute and when we want to execute it. And a quick example of that is there's been a record that's gone back and forth between uh, the city of Somerville and Lipton for creating the world's um, world's biggest glass of iced tea. And so yeah. they've gone back and forth. A lot of times they know, um, okay, geez, they, they just broke the record. We want to break it back sort of thing. So you'll have that situation where, where a brand or, or whoever it might be knows exactly what they want to do. Sometimes um, we will have people come to us and say, we think that record breaking fits nicely into this this campaign or whatever our objectives are, but we don't really know what to do. Can you help us? So that situation comes up quite a bit. And then what we do is that we actually have an internal agency um, made up of a lot of different folks within our company, folks on the records team, folks that work in creative, um, folks that work on commercial, and we will brainstorm and come up with ideas that we think are going to help company X uh, with whatever it is that they are trying to do. So we will come back to them with a series of ideas. And as you can probably appreciate, the more information that we get from the company, whether it's a brief or an RFP or whatever it is, the better that we can help them. So that it works that way, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum sometimes. And then other times they'll come to us and say, we do have an idea and whatever that idea is might not fit into our criteria for a record. And let me give you an example of what that means. We, on, on the sports side of things, we often get requests for doing the world's largest tailgate. And that is a type of record that unfortunately we, we just do not recognize. And it's for this one simple reason. 
that is not a record that we feel can be standardized across different attempts, wherever that might take place. And what I mean by that is there's no standard definition for what a tailgate is. So tailgating to you, Joe, might mean right. uh, I'm going to go and uh, play cornhole and listen to some music with some friends. And to somebody else, it might mean, um, you know, we're going to we're going to uh, invite a bunch of people and have a couple cases of beer and have a big party. It's just different uh, definitions for different people. So a lot of times something can't be standardized, so we can't recognize it. So that, that sometimes is one of our challenges. We have to educate our clients on that. You have to have something that can be standardized. It has to be, uh, we have to be able to verify it, um, which of course is, is inherent and important to record breaking in of itself. And then it also has to be breakable. So what I mean by that is that you can't be the, um, you can't be the fastest person to, or, or the person to visit all 50 states, I should say, uh, because there are a finite number of states. It's not breakable. Now, you can be the person who, um, in an example with Al Roker and, and Rokerthon two years ago, you can be the person to broadcast the weather the quickest from all 50 states. And he did a tour and, and, and broadcast the weather from, from each of the 50 states. Um, so that's, that's a few different ways that we work with individuals and companies when they come to us, either with, on one hand, a very specific idea, or on the other hand, just no idea at all, and then somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And, and one other thing before we get to the brands is there was a recent mm-hmm. battle, I guess it was between Kansas, University of Kansas, and University of Kentucky to have the loudest um, gym or, or something along those lines in terms of basketball games, Correct. Correct. It was the largest indoor, or sorry, loudest indoor crowd roar, and yeah. that took place at Rupp Arena at uh, University of Kentucky. And Kentucky ended up setting that record. But that day they played Kansas, and we had actually worked with uh, with Kansas athletics a couple of times previously, um, including they they did a record around the holidays one year for most people wearing holiday sweaters at one of their games, which was really fun. But they got to hold that record when. They were obviously the opponent that day, and uh, almost immediately we we got feedback from from their athletic department. They're like, "Hey, we want to break this record. We want to take this from them." And sure enough, at Allen Fieldhouse a couple weeks later, when they played West Virginia, um, the fans got together and and broke that record. So you'll you'll see a lot of this um, uh, you know the competitive spirit, so to speak, take place, especially in the sports space, and it's really fun. Cool. So in the time we have left, let's move on to brands and the ROI that brands sure. get. Um, mm-hmm. Take a company like Reebok and maybe briefly mm-hmm. walk people through how Reebok came to you, um, set a pretty unique world record, um, and tell everybody about how the ROI came about and, and, and how that's a win-win for everybody from the brand activation side, which is something that people usually don't hear about. Right. So, you know, that was that was a really fun and, and interesting and unique unique campaign. So, we actually met with their agency last summer, but the brand came to us directly in December, knowing that the launch of their, their Nano 7 shoe was, or the CrossFit shoe was coming out in the first part of February. So their, their initial idea was that they wanted to be, you know, the shoe brand that broke the most Guinness World Record titles. That ended up into uh, morphing into this day-long literally around the world campaign where they engaged 33 of their athletes and ended up breaking 44 fitness related records. And the way it started, it started in Sydney, Australia, 
and moved from there as the sun rose to London and then New York and then to Los Angeles, where they had four separate events around the world and, again, engaged all these different athletes. I mean, it's just super inspiring record uh, to watch these athletes perform these incredible fitness feats. And I actually went to the one in New York and, and saw some of this firsthand and it's very, very inspiring. There was a gentleman there who uh, performed a record for um, the most one-handed. I don't, I'm not going to have the record exactly right, but he was, um, he was basically taking a barbell and, and pulling it over his head uh, with one hand and, and setting that record the most, I think it was the most weight lifted um, using one hand overhead in a minute, but he only had one arm. So it was just amazing to watch him do this in, in this incredible feat of strength. And it really allowed Reebok to have this different platform and ways to engage people and draw attention for their shoe in a way that really nobody, no other brand had, had done before. So you're talking about breaking all these records and telling that story, how it worked on a global perspective, and knowing that how Reebok has, has done a tremendous job of, of integrating into and working with the CrossFit community. And if you've ever been to a, a CrossFit gym, which is, I've done it, it's, it, it's grueling and it's fun and it's intense at the same time, um, you know, Reebok has, has its place in there, even if it's sort of not officially branded. You have many people that understand that they sponsor the, uh, the, the CrossFit games and that they make gear specifically, um, and I'm talking shoes here, for um, for the different movements and the different activities that are really inherent to CrossFit, so a really great way again to um, to get a, a version of their shoe again, a seventh version of, of their Nano shoe out there into the marketplace. And um, the last question I wanted to have about the activation, and you talked about global. Um, mm-hmm. before we kind of have you give your sage wisdom to the people who are listening as to how they get engaged in sports. Um, how much of what you do when you talked about the book and the book is done and there's obviously with books, there's lots of lead time. How much of what Guinness World Records does now with something like Reebok or other campaigns is done in the social space? How important is the social space versus just kind of the traditional you know, book that, that exists? It's critical to us evolving as a brand and we're fortunate that, you know, when you think about our book and how sort of tactile it is, it's not exactly a book that lends itself to an ebook, so to speak. So it's not really there a space that we dabble into, but where social platforms work so well for us is that our, if you watch our content, um, and see it online in our different channels, you know, the video that you see that comes out of these attempts, whether it's like the Reebok attempt I mentioned, um, or, you know, something that happened, you know, earlier this month, the uh, oldest man to ride a roller coaster, he just turned 105, you know, watching that sort of content has really allowed us to expand our reach as a brand. And what I mean by that is that I mentioned the audience before roughly, you know, seven to 10, sometimes older, sometimes younger um, kids who read our book, even kids these days that age, of course, are consuming content online. And so too are people that are out of that 10 to 12 year old range, right? Everybody's consuming content online these days. And when, so when you see something that is inspiring and inspirational or makes you laugh or just makes you think, wow, I'd like to break a Guinness world Records title someday. That's terrific for us because it gets beyond people thinking about just the book. So as people get older um, and and they keep engaging with our content, they'll remember that as 
they sort of age into the the place where they're going to buy a book for their you know nieces or nephews or whatever it might be when they become parents they're going to remember the book so you know it plays extremely well our brand plays extremely well online it's it's easy for us to to share that type of success and the volume of people that follow us on our channels with our brand potential brand clients so they mm-hmm. understand and see the power that we have in the marketplace you know of of 18 million people um, that visit our website every month to, um, you know, 12 million Facebook fans, you know, those kind of numbers in different types of platforms that are really helping us expand the reach of our brand. And that has huge appeal to, uh, to our commercial clients. So it's not just the individual records that are promoted on those channels. You know, oftentimes it is those, those commercial, um, commercial clients that we work with that who also have great stories to tell. Got it. Um, and then, Keith, before we let you go, uh, two important things we always ask our guests. Where do you get your information from? Uh, actually, three. Where do you get your information from? Where can people find both you and, and Guinness World Records in the social space? Uh, and then, more importantly, you've done some teaching. What advice do you give to people either entering the business or looking to change jobs or kind of evolve their careers? Sure, and, and I didn't mention the teaching part before, and that was that was a blast. I did that for for quite a quite a few years at, at VCU, uh, a couple of years at University of Phoenix. Um, I started sort of doing brick and mortar teaching at uh, Virginia State University when I lived in Richmond, and created a uh, a NASCAR business course. Um, and that again took place at Virginia State, which is one of the um, first historically black colleges and universities to have a course like that at it. So that was a blast. Um, but, you know, I tell my students a, a lot of different things, and it kind of goes back to um, my experience with you, Joe, at the 76ers, and that, you know, a couple things. Get yourself noticed when, when you're at a job, and it sounds very easy and, and sort of a trite expression, but, you know, don't wait around for somebody to tell you what, you know, you should be doing. Find out if you have a passion for another part of the business. Find out as much as you can about that. If you're starting in, like I did at the Sixers, at a ticketing job, um, you know, I, I didn't know if ticketing was something I necessarily wanted to do. I had a goal to be to be in PR and, and do more of a communications focused um, type of job and career. So again, it was it was going to folks like you in that department and saying, hey, what what can I do to help? I really want to learn more about this side of the business. Is there anything I can do? And you'll oftentimes find that people will be very receptive to uh, to your inquiries. So that to me is is one thing I tell students. I tell students that. And I've said this for years, and to me, it's it's even more it's even more true these days with how social media has evolved. And that is learn to write well. Again, sounds simple, mm-hmm. but if you can write well, you'll set yourself apart from 90% of the workforce, in my opinion. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, crafting an email to a client, writing a business pitch, editing a marketing brochure, writing a speech, writing a press release. It doesn't matter. And I have found through the years that because people know that I can write well they will come to me and say, hey, I need help with this or X or Y or Z, and it really will help you improve your stature within uh, the company that you work for. I promise that will happen. So, And then, again, people should take advantage of their networks as well. Again, that sounds simple, but when you meet somebody, take the time to follow up, take the time to make sure you stay in touch with them. And I've found that, again, in my experience, if you ask for help, People will be willing to give that to you. People will be willing to pay it forward. It's one of the things that, that I learned. Um, I know it's a big part of your philosophy, Joe. Um, I find that to be true. And I also find it to be true with, with people at um, my alma mater. And I, I hear this from other people too. It doesn't matter if you went to Temple like me. Um, 
doesn't matter if you, you know, wherever you went, I think people, if they enjoyed their experience at college, nine times out of 10, if you don't know somebody, they will be willing to help you. So if you see a job that's available at um, XYZ company and you don't know anybody there, maybe you find a common ground with somebody who went to your school and say, look, hey, I just saw this job online. We don't know each other, uh, but I know you went to Temple. I hope you enjoyed your experience as much as I did. Would you be willing to help me find the right person at your company that I could get some dialogue with and, and speak to about the job? So, um, so those, those are some, some things that I, advice and tips that I give to people. And then lastly, and Joe, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. How, how do they no, find you, and me. how do they find Guinness? How do they find Guinness? It's a great question. So, uh, again, well, first of all, let, let me give my information. They can find me, uh, Keith Green, uh, again, at Guinness World Records. My email is keith.green, just like the color, keith.green at guinnessworldrecords.com. Guinness has two N's and two S's, um, just like the beer. And there's actually a very fun story um, about us and Guinness the beer. We were, in fact, founded by the managing director of the Guinness Brewery. It's a fun story you can look at online. I'm not going to take up any more time with that. Um, so people can reach me there. I can be reached on my mobile phone, which is 732-921-1634. So again, that's my information. Uh, in terms of people, um, in terms of information for us, give me some context on what you mean by that, Joe. I'm sorry. So, so Keith, where can uh, people find Guinness in the social space if they're looking for, for information? Oh, I understand. Okay, if they're looking for information, we're certainly they can visit our website, and we have on the homepage of our of GuinnessWorldRecords.com, uh, you can find a an icon that business solutions, and you can you can go through that and you can find um, how to get in touch with us or people if they're listening to this podcast, they can certainly get in touch with me directly um, if they have any questions about something on the brand or commercial side, and then we're very active on on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at GWR. Um, Facebook page, it's easy to find us there. Um, Instagram is, is growing for us. We actually started a Pinterest page last year because we felt that here in the States was a very big audience potentially for us because, you know, when you look at um, the statistics and, and who really is on that platform, which is largely moms, uh, who we hope are buying the book for their kids, we thought that was an important place for us to be. So we just got that up and running. Um, so yeah, those are, those are really our, our, our main channels and platforms here uh, that we're active on uh, in, in the state. So pretty much the main one, Snapchat. We just started Snapchat as well, so you can find us on Snapchat. Um, we've actually been doing on the Facebook side uh, live Facebook broadcasts. We have a team of, of professional producers and videographers. Um, and on, on camera folks that have that experience that are out there literally all over the world doing, uh, you know, doing live record attempts, either from the individual side or commercial side. So that, again, is a platform within Facebook that is growing for us, too. Great. So I think we set a world record for the most world records talked about in at least about 35 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Keith Green, once again, VP of Marketing and Commercial Sales for Guinness World Records North America. Thanks for coming on and uh, enlightening us on, on how the world record business works. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. It was fun. Great. And thanks again. Once again, this is Joe Favorito. This was the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Next time, hopefully, we'll have uh, our, our co-partner, Tom Richardson, back on when he's back from vacation. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my co-host is Joe Favorito.
production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.